before while you're standing. It's good to have my wife and Cody back from Oregon. Amen. Sister Nix, you were here Wednesday. You heard some tremendous teaching from Brother Tyler Nix that included one of these verses. Humble yourselves before the Lord, says verse 10, and he will lift you up in honor. Amen. Let's start right after that. Just keep the thread going here in James 4, verse 11. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, you are criticizing and judging God's law. I'll help you. Uh, your brains unbreak on that one for a minute. <laughs> that makes my head hurt when I first read it. Like, really? But there's a, a reason there. Uh, your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. Wow. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So. What right do you have to judge your neighbor? Verse 13, look, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town, and I will stay there a year, we'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog, it's here a little while, then it's gone. I mean, who thought that COVID would take over the world like it did? Who thought that? Business, finance, personal lives would be so totally and some, in some cases permanently upended. It can happen just like that. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Verse 17, remember, it is sin to know you ought to do and then not do it. Can you say amen? God blesses your seated. Amen. It's incredibly easy to talk about all the things we should not do. Churches are known for, can't do that, can't do this, don't go there. It is easier for a preacher to tell you all the things you should not do you want to make it to heaven, humanly speaking. And there's an element of authoritarianism, shall we say, that can creep into preaching sometimes. Don't do that. Can't do that. Don't you dare. You're going to hell. There we go. Had to get that last part out. Do we need that kind of preaching? Yes, we do. <laughs> Amen. Yes, we do. We need to be told what we need to stop doing. 
Amen. Jesus preached freely about the Pharisees stopping being liars and cheats and hypocrites. Amen. John Baptist, go away. Show me some fruits of repentance. Then come and I'll baptize you. We do need to hear, from time to time at least, the things we should not do, the things we should avoid, the things we should strive to make, to, to, to not make ever a part of our lives. Um, I don't know that I ever sat down with my kids in a one-hour session and said, here are the laws of the land, and we're going to go through this, and I don't want you to break any of these laws because you'll go to jail. Has anyone ever read the Texas Penal Code? Tell me you have not, please. It's about that thick. And it's written in legalese, written in language that only lawyers can understand and appreciate. So if I were to, if I were to have taken my kids and read them the Texas Penal Code, and then can't stop there because you have to go to the federal code as well now, right? And there are tens of thousands of violations that can result in felony convictions, it's amazing the, the things that can get you in trouble. Are you aware that if you pick up a feather off the ground, you don't know what the feather is, just a feather. Um, stick it in your pocket, in your car, and you drive across state line. Brother Sullivan saying, yeah. What might that feather be, Brother Sullivan? It might be an eagle feather. Is it legal for anyone outside of Native Americans to own, possess an eagle feather? My understanding, I'm not a lawyer or a fed, but I understand that it's illegal to possess a feather from an endangered species, specifically the eagle in this case. And if you carry it across state lines, now you've committed federal crimes that will land you, if so prosecuted, can land you in many years in a federal prison. So I, at some point, it's impossible to sit there and sit down with your kids and say, guys, let's go through the federal code. Oh, don't pick up a feather. All this, all that some point, their eyes are going to glaze over pretty quick and say, I've better things to do. I could take you from Genesis to Revelation and tell you all the things you shouldn't do every time we come to church. At some point, you're going to, again, eyes roll back, walk out and say, I'm done. So we need to learn the principles of righteousness. That's where it comes into. I don't have to know the whole the state code or the uh, the federal code, but I do need to understand certain principles. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. How many commandments were there given? That's right, ten. Amen. Are there only ten commandments? No. But these Ten Commandments gave a solid foundation and uh, summarization, if you will, of God's expectations of us. 
as human beings to each other, to our communities, and to God himself. Can those Ten Commandments be simplified down to less than ten? Yes, they can. And I'll take you there in Romans 13 in just a minute. The scripture says that all of the commandments have to do with love. Have to do with how you would like others to deal with you. Therefore, you should deal with others as unto you. Oh, wait, yes. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul said all of the law is summarized in that one commandment. What is the first and greatest commandment of all? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. This is the first and greatest commandment of all. Oh, wait. The second one is like unto it. It's almost just as important. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we can learn the principles of righteousness, then we don't have to go down the list of tens of thousands of thou shalt, thou shalt not. And if you do this, and there's nuance there, and if this happens, and you go through the, uh, the law books, Deuteronomy, for example, It'll make your head hurt of all the ifs, thens, ands, ors, figuring out all of the conditions that can cause different penalties, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to worry about knowing all of that as long as you understand the principles of God's law. Now, it's sometimes more fun to tell you, don't do that. How many grew up with a bigger, older brother or sister? How many were the oldest kids in, in the family? There you go. Uh, you're the dreaded oldest brother, sisters. I was third down the totem pole. I had two older than me. You know what my two older brothers loved to tell me? Say that again. Who said that? Say it a little louder. Don't do that. You can't do that. Why? Yeah, just watch me. <laughs> Why can't I do that? Mom and Dad said. Remember them saying that. It was usually Keith and Kevin said that and attributed it to Mom and Dad. We love being able to say, don't do that. I had the chance with one brother, my youngest. Uh, wasn't quite as fun as I thought it would be. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But we grow up. Loving to say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You got those co-workers, don't you? Everyone, you got those co-workers. You've had those co-workers that like to tell you, no, you don't do that. Can't do that. We made you the boss. Nobody. I'm just telling you. Can't do that. They're terrible bosses that all they love to do is keep a thumb on you. Can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. Ah. There's a reason why the devil picked on that one theme in the Garden of Eden. Didn't God tell you, 
You can't do that. <laughs> He's lying to you. Devil's playbook is always the same. Okay. So we know that it's fun to say, don't do that. It's easier to say, don't do that. Friend, it is more important to know what we do have to do than to know what we can't do. I can tell you all day long, don't do this, or you'll go to hell. And avoiding hell should be high on everyone's priority list. Can you say amen to that? I'm not serving God just to run from hell, but you know what? That's what you call a pretty big perk. Amen. I want to avoid hell. You should want to avoid hell. The world makes fun of God, makes fun of the notion of heaven and hell. But let me tell you, my friend, God is real. And just as heaven is real, hell is real. And you need to fear the thought of hell. And you need to tool your life in such a way that you, by the grace of God, will avoid hell. And we know things that will send you to hell. I can take the book of Revelation. I can take the book of Galatians. I can take you through the scriptures that tell you the things that will send you to hell. Now, hello. We know that smoking causes cancer. Yes? Does smoking always cause cancer? Not always. There are some people who smoke 70 years, 80 years. Never get cancer, lung cancer, or other. See there? Smoking is okay. Look at the percentages and you'll say, no. It's the lucky few that smoke and don't get cancer versus those who smoke and do get cancer. So, but but to be fair, smoking doesn't always cause cancer. You with me? The devil will tell you that that applies to sin as well. Sin won't always send you to hell. Oh, man. I mean, just like they, they scare you with all these anti-smoking ads, right? Yeah, and preachers scare you with all this preaching stuff just to try to get you to stay in church and pay your tithes. Funny how they go right to that, right? They just want your money. No. I want to see your soul saved. Amen. I truly and sincerely want to see your soul saved. I'm not preaching to get rich. I'm not preaching to be famous, to have my name in a spotlight somewhere. If I didn't truly love your soul, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I want to see you go to heaven. So I have to at times tell you, don't do that. If you do this, it will send you to hell. I mean, there are certain things I talked about smoking that may not always cause cancer. But I'll tell you what, if you drain all the blood out of your body through one way or another, you will die. It's not maybe, if, no. If you drain all the blood out of your body and you don't replenish it, you're dead. If you suppress your ability to breathe oxygen in a matter of minutes, you will die. It's not a question of maybe. No. Oh, but people came back after 30 minutes. Okay. Go 31 minutes. Go 32 minutes. 
At some point, lack of oxygen, you're dead. I'm telling you, my friend, sin is not an if it will send you to hell. It's when it will send you to hell. You need to avoid sin. So it's, it's good and it's necessary to preach about the thou shalt not. But it's just as important to tell you what you need to do. Because if all you do is cast out that evil spirit, what did Jesus say? If somebody is possessed of an evil spirit and you get rid of that evil spirit, you evict them, you send them a court notice in Jesus' name, amen, and you get rid of that evil spirit and they leave, after a while, guess what they're going to do? Look upon Zillow and say, hey, I wonder if that address is still empty. Ha ha, no one's moved in. They come back, and how many are going to end up in there? That one plus seven, worse than the first one. Jesus said it's not enough to just clean out the bad. You've got to fill your life with the good. You've got to let the Spirit of God come in and fill that emptiness in your heart so that righteousness is living in your soul. Amen. Uh, friend, you're talking about a brother finger. If you have to, you need the Holy Ghost to get to heaven. Absolutely. You also need the Holy Ghost to keep evil out of your heart while you're here before you get to heaven. Amen. You need the power of God in your soul so that evil doesn't come knocking on the door and saying, anybody home? <laughs> Nobody's here. We'll move in. Now, I can go down the list, and we love lists, don't we? We love black and white. We all dream at some point or another of being able to stand in traffic court and say, but Your Honor, law didn't apply to me because of this. I take you to the list. See, there the list is. We like lists because we can play our lives against the list. There are people that make a living trying to improve your odds of not getting audited or not being penalized by the IRS. And they study the code, the list. Say, see, it says this. So if you do just that, you're going to be okay. We like lists. Tell me, Lord, what do I need to do to make it to heaven? Did anyone ever ask the Lord that? Oh, that's right, the rich young ruler. Remember that parable, Mark chapter 10? This young rich man came to the Lord and said, Good master, tell me, please, what do I need to do to make it to heaven? What did the Lord respond? He quoted the, how many commandments were those? The Ten Commandments, yes. And that young man smiled. It just lit up his face. Like, <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that, Lord. He came. That was a loaded question. He wanted the Lord to answer exactly what the Lord answered because he'd already read the code. He'd already gone through the list. He's like, uh-huh. got it. I'm going to heaven. If he was so confident that he was going to heaven, why 
Did he come to Jesus in the first place? Something in his heart saying, you better check on that. Better double check. Part of him, I think, right, he wanted someone to pat him on the back and say, great job. But I think part of him realized there's more to it than just a list of thou shouts and thou shalt not. Good master. Oh, that's great news. I've kept all of these commandments from my youth. I'm good, right? The scripture says, and I love how the way Jesus it says in New Living Translation, when Jesus looked at that young man, let me, let's go there. Let's go there. Mark chapter 10. Let's look at that quickly. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you call me good? Jesus asked. There's an important lesson in that question, that challenge. Mark 10, verse 17. Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. He's already giving that young man a preview of what he's going to say. You're calling me good teacher. Okay. If you have somebody with whom you have a tenuous relationship at best, and you want to get the upper hand, you want to make peace, make good with stuff, are you going to come up and say, hey, you jerk, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to come and say, man, it's good to see you, friend. How are you doing? Yeah. Because you want them to see you as friendly and positive. That young man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, good master. Hey, who are you calling good? You're hoping that I, hearing you say good teacher, will say, you're good too, man. You're good. How many times do we come to God wanting to feel affirmation? Amen. Think about it. There are churches full of people today who seek affirmation. Tell me I'm doing the right thing. If you're doing the right thing, God bless you. We need to tell you that you're doing the right thing. But if you're not, we owe you the truth. Amen. Uh, Jesus said, uh, you want to know how to get to heaven and inherit eternal life? To answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone on your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. What does verse 21 say? Then as he looked at him, New Living Translation simply says, looking at him. How many times has someone asked you a question and you never look at them when you respond? 
I'm typing away. And someone asked me a question. I may or may not stop. Excuse me, what were you saying? I may just keep typing, depending on what's going on. But at some point, it looks like Jesus may not have really focused in on this young man. It's just like, here a question. You want, okay, you know the commandments, you got it. But then when the young man says, oh, I've kept all these commandments from my youth, Jesus stopped and looked at him. It's different when somebody stops what they're doing and looks in the eye and says, ah, now let's talk. I heard your question before and I answered it. Do you have a deeper question? Let's talk. There's connection, right? You feel that when you suddenly you look somebody in the eye. People get uncomfortable with eye contact, especially when they're not comfortable with what they're asking or saying. Looking at him, Jesus felt genuine love for him. We surmise the things that led this man to ask the question the way he asked. But whatever it was, there was something genuine, transparent about that young man that Jesus loved him. It, it, it connected with Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, I love you enough. I'm not going to leave you with a pat answer. Because I just told you all the things you shouldn't do. Must not murder. Must not commit adultery. Must not steal. Must not testify, false, testify falsely. Do you know what? I love you. I feel this love in my heart for you. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. If you want to make it to heaven, young man, quit just going down the checklist of Christian apostolic church. Get right with God, and I'll tell you how to get right with God. I see in your heart, young man, that you love your possessions so much, you don't want to give them up. Didn't Jesus say that if you want to save your life, what do you have to do first? You have to give it up. You have to lose it. You have to be willing to strip it all away. Young man, I know you're rich. I know that you have a lot of possessions. There's one thing you have not done. He didn't say you're doing and stop it. He said there's something you need to do you have not done. Here we are in the middle of October already. Where has this year gone? Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, then New Year's. Oh, great. Let's make some New Year's resolutions, shall we? Oh, let's make a New Year's resolution. Brother Finger, give me a New Year's resolution. Not yours necessarily, but the, the kind of New Year's resolutions people use all the time. Stop smoking. The New Year's resolution you hear all the time. Lose weight. New Year's resolution. Exercise. New Year's resolution. Be good. Oh, there we go. Uh, New Year's resolution, Brother Ray. Do everything new. 
New Year's resolution. Better job. New Year's resolution. Come to church. There you go. New Year's resolution. Be nice to others. Go down the list, right? Everyone can come up with something they've heard or we ourselves have said, which includes go to church more. It includes how many times? If I had a dollar for every time I've heard, Pastor, I know I need to pray more. I'd have a nice boat and a nice trailer to pull the boat with. Maybe an airplane. I know I need to pray more. Let me ask you straight question. Can we ever pray enough? No. Does that mean that we have to spend 24 hours a day praying? No. How do you know that you've eaten enough without overeating? That's probably a little too much eating. <laughs> How do you know, excuse me, what? When you feel full. God created, in his marvelous wisdom, a certain hunger hormone kicks in when you need to eat. Body says, oh, I'm hungry. It can be driving down the street and seeing the water burger site. Ah, lunchtime. Burger King. It can be walking into a store with a fresh bakery. And, oh, where are we going to eat? That hormone will kick in and say, it's time to eat. Whether you're truly hungry or not, it says, hey, <laughs> go eat. Now, if you listen to your body, and there's a reason why they say chew X number of times before you swallow and uh, slow down your meal, et cetera, et cetera, because if you eat too fast, your body doesn't have time to process and say, okay, enough, done, stop it before you get that bloated feeling, right? Ah, I eat too much. If you let your body process what you're eating, take a little time to slow down and think about it. At some point, your body says, I'm full. Done. You can stop shoveling it down now. <laughs> uh, leave that extra tater tot on this plate. You don't need that. Oh, but I want it. Your soul will tell you when you've prayed enough. Man. Did you know that? Kind of look at me kind of weird. My soul thirsts for you, oh God. As the heart pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, oh Lord. Thirsty, I need to drink. Ali came in from outside the other day. He'd been out for a while. Turns out his water dish had dried up outside. It wasn't super hot, but it was warm. He'd been out there a while. He came in and he made a beeline for his water dish. And it was, he was trotting towards the water dish. I heard. <laughs> and then he goes to the water dish and he goes. <laughs> Surely he's going to stop any moment. No. <laughs> but at some point he quit drinking water. And I thought he'd go back. No. Nope. He was done. 
because he knew how much he needed to drink to satisfy his thirst. And if you listen to your spirit as it communes with God, you'll know when your soul is satisfied. Amen. Jesus didn't say, pray, give me this day my yearly supply of bread. How much bread? Give me my daily bread. I need enough of God to satisfy my soul. And I'll tell you what, friend, if you eat a good... How many like steaks? Mm -hmm. Baked potato? You eat a good steak and a good baked potato. The waitress walks up to the table and says, anyone have room for dessert? What's your answer? No way. I'm done. I'm full. Some say yes. I heard a yes over here. <laughs> but if you truly are satisfied, if that hit the spot and you ate enough to where you're full, suddenly sweets don't sound all that good. We eat sweets then because we want to eat sweets, not because we're hungry and eat the sweets, right? If you satisfy your soul with God, you're not going to have appetite for the things of the world. You can say amen to that. Praise God. Young man, I'm not going to belabor the fact of all the things you need to stop doing. I already gave you the commandments. But there is one thing that you're not doing. I need you to go home. I need you to gather all of your possessions. I need you to go sell them and give it all to the poor. Does he stop there? And then do what? Then I need you to take up your cross and come follow me. Oh, that means we all got to go and sell our houses and cars and possessions right now and give it all to the poor, right? If you love them enough to keep you out of heaven, please go on Craigslist today. Amen. If you love anything enough to keep you out of heaven, get rid of it. Simple. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Kind of extreme, right? He's not saying you've got to go chop your hand off. Get your heart right with God to where the evil desires that caused your hand or eye to do cause you to sin. Get rid of that. Amen. He said it's ultimately better to go into heaven without an eye or a hand than to have everything and burn hell forever. Again, hyperbole. He's, he's giving us these extreme examples of, of, of things. The, the whole thing comes down to get rid of those things that convict you. Get rid of those things that take you to a place you don't need to be. Let go of those things and start following Jesus Christ. Amen. I know I've gone a long time. Let's go back quickly to the book of James. Yes, sir. What do you mean? The willingness if God asks you to. Yes, you have to be willing. You don't know, just like Abraham. With his son Isaac, the sacrifice. God tested him to see if he'd be willing to do what he needed to do. And his attitude of acceptance was counter for righteousness. So, yes, I think Tyson. Yeah. 
quickly, let's go back to James chapter 4. Verse 17, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. He's not focusing on the obvious. Go to Galatians chapter 5 when you get home and remind yourself what the fruits of the flesh look like. It's pretty clear. Those that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the scripture says. But then it also gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, let's go there. Amen. We got to go quickly. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, Galatians 5, 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the uh, sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. In other words, if you don't yield yourself to God, you're going to be deadlocked, gridlocked. The flesh driving you to do stuff, the spirit driving you to do stuff, and you can't figure out which one you're going to do. You need to yield to God. Let the spirit overcome the desires of the flesh. Amen. Verse um, 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. These are works of the flesh. He said, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, these things happen. These are actually outcomes of sin, not sin itself. Wait a minute, are you saying these aren't sinful? No. I'm saying that we do these things because of sin in our lives that drives us. The sin question is bigger than particular acts. Just like the righteousness question was bigger than that checklist of the young rich man. Just because you don't do all of these things doesn't mean that you're righteous. Make sense? Okay. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the thou shalt not list. But then you have the, here's what you need to do. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. These are the things we need to strive for. These are the things we need to have in our lives. So, I ask you a question. If the Spirit of God is supposed to produce love, joy, peace, etc., and we're not producing that, does that mean that we don't have the Spirit of God? Good question. Hold on. Not necessarily. What it can mean 
is that we have the Spirit of God, but we are throttling God's ability to work in our lives. You need these things in order to go to heaven. You need love, joy, righteousness, peace, etc. You need to let the Spirit of God develop these things in your life. You can stop the Holy Ghost from producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can stop him from doing that. Stand if you will, please. Anyone ever had a fruit tree of any kind? How does fruit start? A little bitty flower. A little bud, right? We have a fig tree in the backyard. It's been through ups and downs. It's on its downs right now. We'll see if it survives. But you see it begin to bud out these little bitty nubs, little buds. You know how I can stop that fig tree from producing fruit? Literally. I can take snippers and I can go out and I can snip off all the little fruit buds. It's still a fruit tree. It's a viable fruit tree. But it didn't produce any fruit. That must not be a fig tree. No, still a fig tree. But I thwarted that fig tree's crop by going out and snipping off all of the little buds of fruit that are trying to grow. And God is trying to produce righteousness in each and every one of our souls today. The Spirit of God is pressing us. The Spirit of God is pushing us. The Spirit of God is calling to us. He is trying to get us to allow righteousness to grow in our souls. If you have the Holy Ghost, you will produce these things, or he'll try to at least. But you can take those snippers and snip off God's attempt to bring you into righteousness. And that's why James finished that powerful chapter with that one-line verse that is so devastating. Remember that if you know to do good and you do it not, what is it? Him to the one who stops it. The one who refuses to do good, knowing you need to do good, it's sin. You don't have to commit adultery, murder, covetousness, uh, robbery, theft, go down the list. You don't have to commit all those things to go to to hell. All you've got to do is not produce righteousness. You can thwart the work of God in your life. There are other examples I can give you. Parable of Good Samaritan. The priest that walked by, he knew what he needed to do. He chose not to. The Levite, the temple assistant that walked by next, he knew what he needed to do. He didn't. He chose to do something else. 
And friend, every day we have choices. Every day we have choices. And right here in this house of God, right now, with such a sweet presence of God. I know there's teaching more than preaching, and I've gone a little long, but we feel God in this house, don't we? It's been a tremendous time of, of worship and just ministering God's spirit to us. It's been awesome. God is trying to get us to produce fruit of righteousness. Amen. And for every time we say, oh, I need to yield to God more. I need more of God's presence. I need to pray more. I need to be in church more. I need to this more. I need to that more. And then we see the need and we turn and walk right by. We'll close with this. Does anyone recognize the name Drusilla? She was the wife of somebody. She was the wife of a man named Felix. Does that ring a bell? Not the cat. <laughs> Acts chapter 24, read it when you get home. There was a certain ruler named Felix. He was Roman. His wife was Jewish. Her name was Drusilla. There was a man in prison by the name of Paul. And the scripture says that when Felix would bring Paul into his courtroom, he liked talking with him, but he also was hoping for a bribe. So he kept bringing Paul in and talking to them. And one day, Paul got under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And he began to reason with Felix and with Drusilla about righteousness, about how you need to give your heart to God, about how you need to do the right things, about how you need to produce righteousness in your soul through the power of God's Spirit. The scripture says that Felix became frightened. Why would he become frightened? Because he was under conviction. And he knew that he wasn't allowing righteousness to grow in his soul. And he knew the consequence of not allowing God to work in your life. He became frightened. And he said, preacher, go away. I'll call for you some more convenient thing. I'll check my calendar, preacher. We'll get together one of these days. Have your people call my people. Yeah. We'll get together some other day. According to scripture, that day never came. You can put off doing what's right until you no longer feel the urgency to do what's right. Scripture speaks of getting our consciousness seared with a hot iron. You burn yourself, it hurts. You burn yourself again, the same spot, it will hurt, but not as much. Because now you're starting to kill off the nerve cells. If you burn enough times and hot enough, hard enough to where you kill the nerves, suddenly you stop feeling pain. 
when you push off God's presence long enough. And that knocking at your heart that you feel right now, the Holy Ghost saying, hey, I'm not here to rag on you, make you feel like you're going to hell. I love you. And I want you to do more for me. I want you to be closer to me. I want you to get your heart back where it used to be, more in tune with God, more on fire with the Holy Ghost. He's calling each of us to renew righteousness in our soul. Hallelujah. He's calling us to get back, as that old song says, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I once knew you. I first believed. Hallelujah. He's calling us. And if we listen to him, and if we say yes, Yes, Lord, I want to do what's right. And we draw close to him. He draws near to us and we begin to produce righteousness in our soul. But if you push it away again and again and again, at some point your consciousness, your consciousness rather, becomes seared with a hot iron. And as much as God presses on you to yield to him. You can't feel it. God forbid that we should ever get to the place where we have refused so long to do what we know is right. That he can no longer touch our hearts. God bless you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus.